welcome back to The Author Biz. I'm Stephen Campbell, and this is the show where we deliver the information you need to become the CEO of your author business. In today's episode, we delve into the subject of taxes with John Pollock, the Chief Executive Officer of Financial Gravity Companies and the President of Pollock Advisory Group. John has been featured in Forbes magazine and is a frequent contributor on television and radio. He's also someone that I've been hearing about for years from my good friend and podcasting partner for her show on the craft of writing, Taylor Stevens. Uh, Taylor's been a guest on The Author Biz several times. Most of you are probably familiar with her. And she joins us on this episode as well to add some insight on the importance of being strategic with your tax planning as an author. Now, for those of you out there thinking, taxes, boring, I know you're out there, and I know some of you are thinking that. Give this show a try. If you're listening because you want to take your author business to the next level, taxes are something you're going to need to deal with. And as you move through the various levels of success as an author, they'll become more and more important to you. We cover a lot of ground in this show, and John delivered some some information that I'm going to be able to use beginning next year to lower my taxes. So listen closely. We're all in different situations when it comes to taxes, but if you're paying taxes in the United States, I suspect you'll find something here you can use sooner rather than later. As always, we'll have links to everything we mentioned in the show at theauthorbiz.com. And the show opens with John sharing his thoughts on how business can be surprisingly similar to art. Yeah, so business is art, um, and art is business. They're, they're, artists typically know that there's got this, there's this commerce piece, but they've never flipped it around and thought of the guy that invented Facebook as an artist. But we really are artists. We take the the canvas and the colors that are available, either the laws or the way a business is built, and we have to create something that people want. And there's, in fact. You know, almost artists have it easier. They have four primary colors when they paint. You know, we've got thousands of opportunities and thousands of options that we got to mix together to deliver in a world uh, in a way that people will buy it. So business is without question an art. And is art, if artists started looking at businesses more that way, I think they would be able to better understand how they can turn their art into business. It's interesting. As you were saying that, I was just thinking about all of the indie authors that are out there listening thinking that's the same mindset that I'm going through when I'm trying to figure out who the audience for this next book is or this new series is. And before we get too deep into this, uh, I want to introduce Taylor Stevens. Taylor has been on the show before. She was the third guest on the Author Biz way back when the dinosaurs roamed the earth. Taylor, how are you? (laughs) I'm doing great, Steve. Thank you. And Taylor made the introduction between John and I and suggested him as a guest for the show. And she is not only a friend of John, she is a client of John's. And you guys have been working together for a while, right? Yes. Oh, gosh. Um, Long time. Several years now, yeah. And the reason why I thought John would be such a great guest for your show is because when I was first starting to get any money from my writing, I realized most of it was going to be gone away into taxes if I couldn't figure out how to actually manage this. And I couldn't find anyone who could do what I needed. I didn't want an accountant. 
I didn't need a CPA. I'd been doing my own taxes. I know more about taxes, and John can attest to this, than probably most of the people he comes in contact with mm-hmm. that aren't professionals. And I didn't need a tax lawyer. I needed a coach. I needed somebody who could look at my particular situation and say, based on your particulars and your income, here's what I advise you to do. And then I found John, and I've been so happy ever since. <laughs> well, and, that, and that's where the, the art lies, um, is, is trying to figure out your situation and apply it to this unbelievably collect, uh, complex uh, tax code. And one of the challenges with a, a person is everybody thinks that CPAs are good at this, and CPAs are about as far from an artist as you possibly can get. Um, one of the jokes I have is that if you go, if you show a Picasso to a CPA, they'd say, "Well, it's worth ten bucks." I mean, you've got the canvas, you've got the ink. That's ten bucks. You know, they, it's lost on them what has been painted, and that is a problem because the very people that are looking towards an entire industry. In fact, one of the biggest business problems we have, which we're trying to solve, kind of like your authors are probably trying to solve a very tumultuous. A publishing industry, but we're trying to solve this problem that everybody thinks an entire industry, the CPA industry, does a thing it is not trained to do. That is a remarkable problem. Uh, what do you mean by that? So a lot of people think if I, I'll use my cocktail kind of speech. Okay. If we were, if we met at a cocktail party, you would ask me, hey John, what do you do? And I would say we help small business owners lower their personal income taxes. And the first word out of everybody's mouth, the first sentence is, oh, are you a CPA? To which I respond, Mm -hmm. when was the last time a CPA saved you at least $1,000 in taxes? And they look perplexed and say, well, never. Well, that's why we're so good at it, because we're not CPAs. But the very fact that most people ask first, are you a CPA? Mm -hmm. And then it really starts a, a conversation is, well, what do you think a CPA does? Uh, is there any questions on the CPA exam regarding personal income taxes? And the answer is no. A CPA is, what's the A stand for? An accountant. What is an accountant? They're a numbers historian. They take what you've done and they record it. They don't tell you how to do what you've done differently. So there's a, a pretty big disconnect in the country with an entire industry that people believe helps them with taxes and all they do is put number in boxes and file the returns. They are not trained to do proactive tax planning like I did with Taylor. Where she's, you know, the reason I got into this business is to solve my own problem. I started making a lot of money. It was during the first Obama um, election. I kept hearing rich people don't pay their fair share. I wanted to figure out how not to pay my fair share. <laughs> <laughs> Well, they're not paying their fair share. Uh, <laughs> I, I want to get in on this. <laughs> yeah, I want to get on that. How do I do that? Um, there's a great quote that I, I saw in a recent trailer for Molly's Game that she's asking an attorney, so am I, is what I'm doing illegal? And he says, well, maybe. Well, no. No, it's not illegal. And then she looks at him and says, well, we could find this out. Their laws, they are written down somewhere, aren't they? And it's just a great, it's a great line. And – that's kind of my point is if the rich people aren't paying their fair share, they must be fought. It's not like they have a secret handshake or a, a special you know, room they go into with a, a special door knock. I mean, it, it's taxes are laws. And certainly the ones that aren't paying their fair share are following the laws. 
They just maybe have, you know, players to follow the complexity of the laws. So how do I uh, get to use some of those laws? I'm not going to move my money to Ireland where taxes are 7%, like Apple. Um, but there's got to be stuff in the United States. I mean, I've been told that we're a country of laws. I've been told that uh, the small business owner is loved by the government and that the government wants small business owners. And there's a lot of taxes to save small business owners taxes. And I believed it. So I went on a search first to CPAs only to find out what I just told you, which is they can't help me. And then the second thing was, is, okay, well, if the CPA industry can't help me, certainly there's somebody out there that can, and there wasn't. So I built a company and we're trying to grow as fast as we can and go nationwide and build something that doesn't exist. I'm going to share a quick story from, I don't know, probably 20 years or so ago when I, first or second company that I sold, it was, we hadn't owned the company long enough for it to be long-term capital gains. I went to our CPA and I said, is there anything that we can do to, to minimize the taxes on this? Because I was just not thrilled about paying that, that kind of money in taxes. And the CPA said, no, there's nothing you can do. And so I was doing something else at an attorney's, um, setting up some other things. And I mentioned this and he starts asking me questions and said, did you think about this? Did you think about that? Did you think about the other thing? And over the course of about a half an hour, we came up with an idea that saved a considerable amount of money. It sounds like that's, to a certain extent, what you do. It's exactly what we do. One of the things I, uh, I say that CPAs do is they really, they're in some ways, they're like many attorneys where you, they answer the question you ask. They don't try to get to the, the seed or what you're really trying to accomplish. The example I use is if you go to a CPA and say, hey, I want to put $10,000 into an IRA. Well, the seed is, is that you want to put $10,000 in an IRA for one or two reasons. One, you want the deduction this year, or two, you really want to save for retirement. Well, a CPA is not a retirement planner, so you're probably trying to stash money to save money on um, uh, taxes. Well, the CPA would say, you can't do that. And he'd be right. Legally, you cannot put $10,000 into an IRA. But your attorney example, uh, a good uh, artist would say, well, are you married? Yeah. Is your wife work? No. Well, why don't you put $5,000 in and your wife can put $5,000 in. You still get the $10,000. That's the way to do it legally. Mm -hmm. That doesn't seem that creative, but CPAs just aren't wired that way. And that's, that's something that's hard for creatives to understand, I think, um, and it's hard for me as a business owner to understand that. I see business so clearly, I can't imagine anyone doesn't see it the way I do. Um, reading Taylor's books just mesmerizes me because I'm like, who writes this kind of, what kind of brain can write this kind of stuff? Um, and I, I'm fascinated with movies, you know, that, that fascinates me too because it's, you know, a book is a singular thing, but a movie is a mixture of images and the art of acting and the art of music and the art of framing and the art of there's all this this stuff that's in a movie so that all fascinates me well in the business world all that stuff comes together into a business kind of like of it all coming together in a uh, a movie mm -hmm. so you really need to find someone that knows how to ask the right questions to get to the right objective 
And most CPAs, just the way their brain is wired, is just, just not the very the very nature of the person that passes a CPA exam is not the creative person. And I'm not knocking CPAs as individuals. The CPA exam is one of the hardest professional exams. It's two full days. I mean, it's very difficult. But it's not it's not the person you need uh, to help you with tax planning. So it's it's a very interesting business problem. The, the way I, I liken to it is imagine if everybody thought Chick-fil-A served burgers and no one said, put up their hand and say, no, 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 they're, they're chicken. They don't serve burgers. And no, 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 I've heard they're really good. Have you had one? No, but I've heard they're good. It's kind of with the CPA. Everyone's got a CPA they love. Mm-hmm. They all think they do tax planning. None of them really do. And no one can really give you an example of the time a CPA saved you a bunch of money. Well, really and, strange. And, and let's talk about that for a minute because it, it's not just CPAs. And I have a lot of friends who are CPAs and I have the utmost respect for them. But it's not just CPAs. We as authors are independent business people. We're small business concerns, and we talk to our friends. And our friends know a guy or read something or did this. And it's – if we were looking at book marketing advice, we would we would say, well, you know, what works for you in romance is not going to work for Taylor uh, writing thrillers. Maybe it will, but you can't just take it and move it over into the thriller category and have it work exactly the same way. I suspect that tax information is is the same or tax advice is the same. What might work for Taylor, what might be the best possible idea for Taylor as a traditionally published author who has income coming in on a regular basis might be different than someone that's out there who might make $15,000 one month and $3,000 the next month. Yeah, and the other thing that you you've kind of stumbled into something that is a, is a bigger problem, but one of the the challenges is that people that are writing books are small business owners that are taking a risk. Mm-hmm. A CPA became a CPA because there's no risk. So that's automatically a disconnect. This is one of the challenges I run into with with entrepreneurs is, you know, they know they're taking risks because they're entrepreneurs. Usually an artist that's writing doesn't think of themselves as an entrepreneur, but they really are. They're creating an art that needs to be published and sold to make money. So going back to what um, Steve was just saying here a second ago, um, the the challenge in in taxes as it relates to well i guess not just individuals and and artists but in general is that everybody's situation is different right so a lot of times i'm sure this happens to you when you're meeting somebody they'll say like well give me your best piece of tax advice right and it's like you can't until you're like well what's your situation because there is no standard tax advice. But with that in mind, do you have tax advice? That would be something that you would say, you're an artist, you're creative. Here's something that you should know. Yes. So so let me use a restaurant as an analogy. It's like calling a restaurant and saying, what should I eat there? And the restaurateur is going, I don't know. What do you like? <laughs> you know, I don't know. You know? And it's like, well, you should have a steak. Oh, I don't, I don't eat meat. Well, <laughs> I mean, that doesn't help me. So it's the same kind of analogy, but I would say, yeah, look at your home. 
most people who are writing probably write at home. I'm assuming you don't go to an office and sit somewhere and write. They're probably writing behind doors in a bedroom or on the dining room table or somewhere. Well, there's a there's a a law on the book. This is one of our favorite laws. You can Google it. It's called the Augusta Rule, where you can rent your house to yourself 14 days a year. So let's say I'm married to Taylor. So Terry, I'm the president. Taylor's the vice president or vice versa. Um, and <laughs> <laughs> got to be careful. Um, and and we're eating dinner. Well, the vice president and president are eating dinner together, which we can write off and we can talk some business. And we could have talked that same business in a conference room at a hotel. What would that have cost? It would have cost 500 bucks. So then we just write a check from the business for $500 and deposit it into our personal account. And it is not taxable as income because of the 14-day rental rule. Now, what I just told you is unbelievably stupid, but it's the law. And as long as you follow the letter of the law, it becomes a tax deduction. So in this scenario, if we write off $500 14 times for 14 different reasons and we document it, that's $7,000. Do the math. If I'm in the 25% tax bracket, that's a few thousand dollars in tax savings just with that one rule that I didn't even know existed and has been in the uh, – that most people don't know existed and has been in the tax code for decades. And this is the thing I like to point out. Um, I don't know when this is going to go on the air, but you know we're still in the throes of the, the Republican new tax law. And a lot of people are asking me, is this going to affect your business? To which I respond, no. It's not going to have any impact whatsoever because what happens is, is the Bush presidency changed the laws. The Obama presidency changed the laws. Now the Trump presidency changed the laws. Now the Taylor Stevens presidency, which will be next. <laughs> She'll change the laws. <laughs> so, but every every administration changed the laws. And what's interesting is all the laws that have changed, the 14-day rental rules just stays. So what's really weird is that if I tell you to write off your home office, a lot of CPAs will consider that a red flag, which I don't even know where the term red flag came from for CPAs, to which I respond, there are four ways in the Internal Revenue Code to write off a home office. So if it's a red flag, why did the legislature, which we're learning how hard it is to add laws. So if it's that hard to add a law and there's four different ways to write off your home office, how is it possibly a red flag? That's one of my frustrations with CPAs is that when you finally do recommend something, uh, let's say I recommended something to Taylor and she took it to a CPA and the CPA would say, yeah, I'm not comfortable with that. Mm -hmm. And I can tell you some really great stories on this, but that frustrated the heck out of me. And that's one of the reasons we built the business is that CPAs are, are giving people advice with the simple kind of flippant response of I'm not comfortable with that and costing people tens and thousands of dollars in taxes because they're not comfortable. Is it immoral? No. Is it illegal? No. Is it unethical? No. So if it's not immoral, illegal, or unethical, why aren't you uncomfortable? Why aren't you comfortable? Well, I'm, I'm just not comfortable with it. Uh, we had an actual case of this where we had a client that was going to save $150,000. And the, the CPA, and I ran through that moral, ethical, legal uh, line of questioning, and he says, I'm just not comfortable with it. And the client listened. Cost the client 150000 
thousand real dollars by listening to that CPA, and that CPA can never be sued for malpractice. That pissed me off. All right, so you you're talking. First off, I want to ask again uh, the Augusta rule. Could you spell that for me? Because I am uh, well, Augusta, like the the golf course, like the golf course. Okay, all right, and that's that's, that's fascinating. And, and that's where it, and that's where how it got its name. It wasn't really built for that, but a lot of people that live on the Augusta golf course will rent their houses for mm-hmm. the two weeks, fourteen days leading up to the uh, or leading up and during the Masters tournament, and they get to write the whole. They don't have to take any of that revenue as a taxable income. We use it differently where we take money from a business that's owned by, so Taylor owns the Taylor Stevens Inc. She can pay Taylor Stevens Inc. into Taylor Stevens the person, and it's a deduction to the business, but it's not income to the person. And by the way, what I the Augusta rule, there's about 150 of those in the tax code. There's a, the tax code's really an embarrassment of riches. There's all kinds of cool stuff in there that literally nobody's using. So that's financial gravity. That's why we built the business. Mm-hmm. So it, it sounds like one of the things you're telling us is that if we are small business owners, independent business people, there are lots of opportunities available to us that someone who's just out there working and getting a paycheck uh, isn't going to have. And, and we just need to educate ourselves to what those opportunities are to save money on our taxes. Yes, and and what's interesting is that that Republicans and Democrats agree that the the small business owner is the backbone of the economy. So they both will write laws to benefit small business owners. You know, I'm I'm agnostic towards the the I'm looking at the tax code and whatever it says I can do, I'm going to use it. And whatever the Republicans give us, I may like it or dislike it, it's immaterial. It's it's going to be the law of the land. Keep in mind that tax laws are like Frankenstein's monster. So we have 70,000 pages now. In a couple of months, we'll probably have 80,000. 80, <laughs> and when Taylor runs for office, she's going to add another 10. <laughs> no, I won't. <laughs> she'll say she's going to cut it in half, but it'll double. It'll be 140,000. It'll double, exactly. That is, you know, and then she'll start to work with people, and it's like, oh, there's nothing I can do. All right. Well, let's, let's, talk, let's talk about authors for, for a little bit. Uh, everybody that's out there listening has a plan in their own mind to get to the next level as an author and as a business person next year. And that next level might be $1,000 a month. It might be $100,000 a month. The next level is different for everybody, but we all have a plan to get to the next level. At right. what point should someone who's thinking about next year begin to think about taxes? All right. So the way I explain it to people is that anything, let me give you some like audit rules. So most people that are receiving any revenue from being an author um, or a speaker for that matter, and authors and speakers are, they go together in a lot of cases. um, If you start making over a hundred grand a year, you really need to figure stuff out. But anywhere around 25 to 50, you need to start taking a closer, closer look. One of the things I recommend doing now, whether you're making a dollar or not, is separate, separate checking account. Um, you're a sole proprietor automatically by default in this country. So just put all the dollars that are going into the business. Um, and we're, since we're picking on Taylor, Taylor Stevens Inc. So the Taylor Stevens Inc. business um, goes into one account and then the Taylor Stevens household 
So you're transferring money back and forth and you're tracking that. So if you really want to be a real business and you really want to make $100,000 as an author, start now. You know, start start operating in a disciplined way and keep them separate. Now, one of the advantages of keeping them separate is I can say put I can fund my business of Taylor Stevens Inc with 100 bucks. But Taylor Stevens now needs to buy a printer because she's going to print some of the pages that she's writing on or she needs to buy a computer so that she can so that she can start writing. Well, there's only a hundred bucks in the account. So what Taylor Stevens should do is she should move two thousand dollars in the account, write a check for a thousand dollars to buy the computer. Now what she's done is that she's capitalized this business with her personal money, which and that two thousand dollars going in is tracked as non-income. It's being capitalized. The thousand dollars is coming against the the is an expense. So if she ends the year with no additional movement, she's lost a thousand dollars. Well, that a thousand dollar loss will be written off against her W two income. Let's say she's working a you know a job at as an engineer or whatever. She's uh, she's got the mind of an engineer, so she could. But she's working the job as an engineer. She's making a hundred grand a year, but now she's got this a thousand dollars loss in this business. So this is the accounting game and the tax game that you can only play if the business the the, the accounts are separate. Because if you go in to a accountant, even an account that's not tax planning, they're going to say, wait, wait. So you capitalize the business with two grand. You wrote a thousand. The Schedule C is going to show a thousand dollar loss. A thousand dollar loss is going to carry over to your the front of your tax return. That'll subtract from your income. Instead of making a hundred thousand, you made ninety nine. So you could actually use your business to generate losses, like the fourteen day rental rule. So so Taylor would then have to capitalize her business with ten thousand dollars, write a five hundred dollar check for the fourteen days. So now she's written her checks herself checks for seventeen for seven grand. So now she has seven thousand dollars in losses. So she's actually created losses with something that really didn't cost her anything. And these are some of the accounting rules um, and tax strategies that big companies use. A lot of people have picked on Amazon for not making a profit. Well, they're generating massive amount of cash flow, and they're probably making a, a profit. They're just not making a profit on paper. You know, these gigantic hospitals are nonprofit organizations, and they're making money. So how are they doing that? Well, it's accounting rules. So you need to start learning some of this stuff. Um, so I'm, and then there's really not a lot of places you can go, but you need to start paying attention to it because there's a lot of things that you can do to create losses or write-offs while you're getting started, even if you don't have anything. But as you grow, as your trajectory moves towards that $100,000 mark, you're going to need help. You're going to need to set up an LLC mm-hmm. um, where the money goes into. You're going to want to set up an well, S-Source let's, let's, let's talk about that. Let's, let's dig a yeah. little bit deeper into that. Taylor, when did you set up your business structure? Well, I had contacted John before I actually had – I was so broke. Um, and anybody who's followed my story knows it was, it was awful. But I could see that there would be money coming eventually. It just takes a long time in, in – traditional publishing. So I yeah. contacted John and he said, honestly, until you're making $100,000 a year, it's not worth coming to me. But once you cross that milestone, come back and we'll talk. 
So I, it was a, a little bit of a wait. I had to wait. I mean, the new information has hit the New York Times bestseller list, and it was probably a good six months to a year after that before I started really seeing the money start coming from it. Yeah, and then she called me and said, remember me? <laughs> <laughs> well, and what – did you at that time advise her to set up some sort of a business structure? Well, you know, Taylor, <laughs> Taylor's a savant, so she she would have known what to do well before I did it. Um, did did I recommend it, or did you do it already? I don't remember. Um, I already had started moving in that direction, but I waited until I could show you all the moving pieces to right. make sure that I did it right, because I didn't want to go in one direction and then find out that that was a waste of time and money and energy, because it even though I know a lot about taxes, it still requires mental energy to learn it and figure it out. There's a constant learning curve with it as you increase. And I had maxed out what I felt comfortable putting into my own hands. Yeah, and that's actually a good a good point is as you make more money, the complexity of the rules and what you can and cannot do, do change. Um, a lot of people that that look at rich people say, oh, it'd be, it'd be so great to be rich. It, it's it's a whole nother level of difficult. So, you know, you know, there's an old joke that it's better than being poor and, you know, at least the money numbs the pain. But, <laughs> <laughs> but, but it is, it's a whole nother level of complexity. I mean, just to give you an idea, I'll take you fast forward to my complexity. Um, I have a limited partnership that's owned by a general partnership, which is owned by a C-Corp. I can use every part of the tax code and I am unassailable. I, I'm a, a CEO of a publicly traded company and you cannot sue me. You would have to tri you would have to pierce three corporate veils. No attorney is going to take that that case. It's hmm. just not. It's just they can't get to me. Why did I do that? Well, I had to. I I knew I was going to be public, and I knew I was going to be a public figure in a public company, and I would become a target. And not not six months after um, I went public, did did it? I got sued. I got sued by a guy. My daughter rented a house for prom with 18 kids. He sued one person. Guess who? <laughs> so that's just, you know, yeah. I, most people don't have that problem. Those are, the, those are the problems of the rich. So now I'm paying thousands of dollars a year in attorney fees to protect myself from doing something I didn't do. But that's the game. So as part of, so the LLC actually helps with these protection me measures. And keep in mind, so let me give you some advice for your uh, listeners, is an LLC is a legal entity. It protects you really from lawsuits. It's a limited liability corporation. But you do not file your taxes as a limited liability corporation. A limited liability corporation has to be one of four things. A sole proprietor, that's the default position. The reason it's the default position, it's the highest taxed. So if you have $1,000 to $2,000 in self-employment tax on your tax return, that can be solved just by moving to an S-Corp. Um, and then you you change the way you get paid. You pay pay yourself a, sal a split between a salary and dividends. I usually tell authors to pay themselves as all dividends because realistically, they don't know what their salary is going to be. But if you start a business, at some point, you should pay yourself a salary. You have to think schizophrenically when you're, when you're running a business because part of that business, you're an employee of. And part of that business, you're an owner of where you're getting dividends on the profits. So you're getting both. You should pay both. They're both taxed differently. Well, but I'm, I'm, I'm confused. So let me jump in here for a minute. If yeah. I'm if I'm an author and I have a uh, an S corporation, is that is that what you said? Mm -hmm. An S corporation? Yeah. And, so if you have, and I'm I'm earning a profit, 
doesn't that profit flow through to me as income? Yes, but it won't be taxed as self-employment tax. Okay, all right. So you're just talking specifically about self-employment tax. Yeah. Okay. So it's S's of the sole proprietors of flow through entity. The S's of flow through entity. The C is not. Now, what's interesting about this new tax law is that we're going to start recommending tons of C's now mm-hmm. because the C corporations is going to fall in line with the rest of the world. We're we're winning in an area we shouldn't be winning, which is the highest corporate tax rate in the world. That's just dumb. But if they change that, then we're going to start recommending to our clients to use C corps. Uh, for different things. But a C-Corp is another taxable entity. A partnership is another flow-through taxable entity. And then there's a a fifth, which is called a disregarded entity, which most people haven't heard about. No. What's that? It's another entity that doesn't really have a taxable authority, very rarely used, and you usually, usually use it as part of a corporate structure, kind of like mine, where you have a company inside of a company inside of a company. Mm-hmm. Um very, very rarely used. So I wouldn't spend time on it here because it it's already confusing enough. I don't need to add right. stuff that So in, in <laughs> general, if 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 I'm an author and I'm going to make fifty thousand dollars next year in royalty income, I'm an indie author and I'm gonna make that from Amazon and or and whoever. I'm I'm getting I'll have fifty thousand dollars in royalty income. Should I have a business entity or am I okay running as a sole proprietor? You're okay running a sole proprietor. Uh, you're going to file on a Schedule C, um, but keep in mind the sole proprietor is the number one most audited entity in the country. And once you cross $100,000, the sole proprietor is five times more likely to be audited than an S-Corp. So just switching from a sole proprietor to an S-Corp will lower your taxes and reduce your audit risk, which is and- one of those weird – Parts of the tax code. And same with an LLC, right? When you say S-Corp, is that interchangeable with LLC for the purposes we're discussing here? An LLC is a legal entity, but you have to choose a filing status. Mm -hmm. So an LLC would have to be a sole proprietor, which is default, an S-Corp, partnership, C-Corp, or disregard entity. So yes, if you set up an LLC and don't do anything with it, you're a sole proprietor. You're filing on the Schedule C. So... That's your your goal is is to this should be one of your tax goals to get off the Schedule C. Right. If you make enough money, it is justified to set up a separate entity and get off the Schedule Schedule C. I would not set up an LLC as an author um, because there's really not a, a risk. I mean, I, can I read your book and get mad and sue you? I mean, I'm, there's not really a, a liability risk. Well, I mean, uh, you you run the same liability risk as if somebody thinks you're a target. It's yeah, not so like, like, yeah. So, so that might be a, a way to put a, a box around you, and because they may think maybe you're an author and they think you're worth more than you are, um, because you're, you know, they always think I'm worth more than I am. Yeah, yeah and there's some truth to that. I think that's the way life is. A lot of people think everybody's worth more than they are. I mean, if you were advising an author, and let's let's amp it up a little bit. Let's say uh, this author is going to make a hundred thousand dollars in royalties next year. And once it comes to you for advice on a business structure, and would you suggest an LLC or a sub S corporation? I would do an LLC S. One okay. advantage of an LLC is you can kind of bounce around between the entities, mm-hmm. which you can't do. If you set up an S, you're an S. Um, but if you set up an LLC, I can start as a sole proprietor, make it into an S, and make it into a C. 
So if you set up an LLC, I'd start out as an S, um, not as a sole proprietor. Why, why have a separate entity when you are still going to file on the Schedule C, other than the legal uh, protections? Mm-hmm. Um, and then once you make over $100,000, then the game starts to change a bit. You know, we, we're going to want to do some kind of wacky parts of the tax code. If you've got kids, we're going to hire your kids. Um, if we, you know, we're going to definitely make sure we take care of, take uh, advantage of all the the home office deductions. We're going to look at your cars. Um, how, how are you tracking mileage? Um, if you're looking to buy a new car, we recommend leases. Uh, the reason for that is a lease is tax deductible. You pay cash for a car, it's not tax deductible unless you buy a monster, you know, a truck that's over a certain amount of pounds. Um, but not a big justification for a six thousand pound truck for an author. Um, but uh, well, if they're in Texas, I mean, I, yeah, I think it's or, a requirement. Yeah, and they're in Texas, and they're hauling a lot of books, you know, from yes. place to place. <laughs> but uh, um, so we like the leases because the lease, you know, if you're if I'm an author and I'm working from home, then every time I leave the office to do any business stuff, I drive to the airport. That's that's tax deductible. Um, so, you know, because my home office is my office. So what's interesting about the tax code is you can actually have multiple offices. There was a great court case where a doctor wrote off his practice. He wrote off his home office and he wrote off his lake house. The IRS disallowed it. Um, they fought and won. So there is a court case where you can write off three different home offices. Hmm, interesting. Yeah. All right. Um, not, a lot of, not a lot of authors, I'm guessing, have three offices. Uh, you know, they might have three coffee shops that they write, they write right. inside. <laughs> All right. Let's uh, – hypothetical question. question. Somebody an, – an author out there, and, and there are probably 100 out there listening to this and saying, whoa, I made way more money than I thought I was going to make this year. Is there anything I can do – and we're going to – this show is going to go live next Monday. Is there anything I can do – between now and the end of the year to save myself some money? <laughs> no, uh, there's not enough time. If okay. you have a week, you're not making it. So let me explain this. So think of December 31st as a wall. You can do a lot of stuff before December 31st. But once that wall is erected and mm-hmm. I'm on the other side of the wall, it's really hard to throw things back over the wall. You know, the one that everybody knows is the IRA. I can I can put money into an IRA, $5,000, up to April 15th. Um, that number changes a little bit every year. Um, so I can throw that back over the wall. But all the really big stuff has to happen in the year. Technically, yes, if you, if you listen to this on the 16th or 17th, you have a few days. Um, but, I mean, you're not going to be able to get a hold of us because – Whoever we're working on, we're already working on. We're not going to take on any new accounts with one week left. That's Things aren't going to go well. So we usually stop taking new clients um, the week before Thanksgiving because we aren't going to be able to implement some of the strategies. Some of the really big strategies like medical expenses, writing off every glasses, braces, uh, um, chiropractor, massages, all of that legally can be written off as a business expense. Well, for us to capture that, we have to find it all. Um, every type of medicine you get, um, women that are on birth control pills, that's a tax deduction. Uh, even if you buy aspirin, that can be a tax deduction. So and you're not the- talking about the way that it's laid out on the 1040 where you can only deduct anything over 10%. 10%. You're talking about 
everything from the ground up. Every 100%. dime. Yes. As a, as a legitimate business expense. As 100%. a legitimate business expense. There's actually three parts of the tax code. And here's something interesting. As a result of some of the problems that have sprung out of Obamacare, last December 2016, a new thing went into effect called a QSERA um, that kind of altered these other strategies, which we call MERPs, medical expense reimbursement plans, um, and it's added to it. So yeah, all this stuff is tax deductible for business expense. So I know what people are thinking of right now. Shoot, I'm not making any money as an author, but I know I spent $5,000 in medical expenses. You mean I can write that off in the business, take it as a loss to the business, and then take it off of my income? And the answer is yes. So one thing that um, I so some I people are going to become authors just to write stuff off. <laughs> I want to interject. <laughs> I want to interject one thing here that John hasn't mentioned. This is one thing I really like about him as a person and him as a business. John is one of the most ethical people that I know, and he's never going to put a client in danger um, by shady loop like. Some some tax things are really loopholey that may or may not totally be legit. And that's where big rich people sometimes get in trouble because the yeah. IRS comes after them and they lose. But John doesn't play loose with his clients' lives like that. He only institutes tax strategies that have are either clearly written into the tax code or that have been gone through tax court and had rulings made on them. And his company, that what they have said, they have many facets set up under the financial gravity plan. But one aspect that is particular to this audience is what he calls the tax blueprint. And that's where he looks specifically at your life and your circumstances. And the tax blueprint has a guarantee to it that if they can't save you at least double what they're going to charge you, they're not going to take you on as a client. So there's really no risk in going to them and saying, look at my stuff. Can you help me? What can you do? But that's where his advice of if you're not making at least $100,000, they're probably not going to be able to pull double the savings out in taxes of what they're going to charge you. Right. So we our minimum blueprint is $2,000. And we guarantee that we're going to double your money. So we're not going to take your two grand unless we know we can find four. So you know, you're going to have to be making somewhere around 40, 50 grand at the very least for us to even be able to do a blueprint. Because even at 40, 50 grand, if you're married, you've got a standard deduction of 12,000. If you've got a couple of kids, you've got another couple, you know, deductions of a few thousand dollars, plus you probably have a mortgage. So you, you're going to write your income down to maybe 25,000. And then maybe you have $5,000 in taxes. Well, you know, it's going to be tough for us to, to find more deductions, except for some of the stuff that we've talked mm -hmm. about, especially if you're an author and you've got stuff to prove that you actually um, this is where the author business can become a little dicey. If you say you're an author and you're not writing, but you're taking all these tax deductions off, you're going to it's going to catch up with you. So you've got to show that you're producing uh, one of the, the rules of thumbs and in, in most CPAs will agree on this is that you got to pretend like you're trying to make a profit. And there's a certain point where, gosh, I've been writing for 10 years and I've made no money. Um, I've only spent money and I've gotten all these tax deductions. So eventually that type of stuff is going to catch up with you. That's why we want you to kind of cross a threshold because then we know you're legitimate because something's coming in. So there's, there's no law that requires that a business makes money. 
No nope. business can lose money in perpetuity, but it does raise questions if a right. business is constantly losing money. But if you have a legitimate business and you are going through all the steps that a legitimate business goes through and you're still losing money, there is nothing illegal about that whatsoever. Right. Look at Amazon. Amazon's yeah. my favorite example. They were losing money for 20 plus years. I think they've made money on like one quarter <laughs> and no one thinks they're going out of business and no one doesn't order from them because they think they're not going to send it. So they're a legitimate business that doesn't make money. Um, so I, I, if, if we had time to discuss finance, I can explain what they're doing, but we don't. So um, just focus on sticking to the knitting. We're not going to break any laws. We don't have to. There's 150 strategies that are in the law. Let, let me give you an example um, how we really kind of nail down the laws. I, I, I flippantly threw out that you can hire your kids. A lot of people will go, well, that's kind of nuts. My kids aren't doing anything. Well, that's not what the law says. The law to be employed, you don't actually have to do anything. The law is very specific. Number one, I mean, we're not saying that we wouldn't recommend your kids work in your business. I actually would encourage that anyways. You don't want lazy kids, but um, legally, an employee is someone that has a contract, someone that gets paid through payroll, and someone that, that gets paid into their own checking account. So if Taylor pays her daughter, and that daughter gets it in Taylor's account, then her daughter's really not getting paid. You know, if I pay my son into my own checking account, he's not getting paid. So if as long as you're you're meeting those three requirements, they're employed. Hmm. The requirements don't say someone's got to be working. Um, some people aren't. They have to. You have, have to, to pay seven. them a reasonable amount for what they're doing. You can't write your ten-year-old kid a check for a hundred dollars an hour for. Right. Whatever. And then yeah, people are laughing. There's some rules of thumb you really need to follow, and we'll help with that. But people kind of freak out when I just say, you can hire your kids. Mm -hmm. And people will say, well, why, why do this? Don't understand. And it's because you're allowed to have a certain amount of income every year tax-free. So mm -hmm. let's say you yourself are in one of the higher tax brackets, but you're paying your kids, say, you know, $7,000 a year on average. Well, that most of that money is going to come without the kid having to pay taxes on it. It goes into their own checking account, and then you use that kid's money in his checking account to pay for stuff that you are already paying for out of your pocket, like soccer lessons and school this and Orthodont, well, the orthodontist is a medical, so that's something different. Right. But you're basically, as one of the things that John teaches is about pre-tax income and post-tax income and how you're trying to get as much of your expenses before the taxes hit, not after the taxes hit, because depending on how much money you're making and what tax bracket you fall into, you could be saving almost 40 cents on the dollar um, that you're now not having to pay that 40 cents on the dollar because it's getting funneled out of your income stream before the taxes hit. And that's where paying your kids to do things can help offset the, the cost of having children. Right, which is crazy. So let me use a, uh, a story to, since we have storytellers, to kind of explain these complex principles. Think of everything that comes into your household as coming in one side of a big, gigantic chasm. In order to get the money from the one side of the chasm, which is the business side of the chasm, to the other side of the chasm, which is the personal minivan soccer lesson side of the chasm, 
you have to pay a toll to get across a toll bridge. That toll bridge has different taxable types of tolls. So it could be dividends, which are taxed right now at 15, 20, and 23.8, or it can be regular income, which is taxed you know, five, six different ways, which supposedly is gonna be simplified. So you're gonna pay one of these tolls. What if I didn't have to pay the toll at all? What if I can buy the minivan without paying the toll. So now I'm now I'm, I'm I'm getting the soccer lessons in the minivan without the toll with a dollar. So instead of getting a dollar, paying 25 cents of the toll, having 75 cents, then paying for the soccer lessons, what if I can pay for the soccer lessons with a full dollar? And that's literally everything that we're talking about. How do we take personal expenses, make them business expenses, legally, morally, and ethically, following the laws, and using code that is there, and how do we do that? And that's really what we're trying to do, is reduce the amount of stuff that has to pay the toll. That's the first thing, how do we get it to zero toll? And then the second thing is, how do we lower the toll? And those are our two primary objectives. And then there are some things that you can kind of sneak underneath the chasm. Um, an HSA is something that you can sneak underneath the chasm. You make the money tax-free, it goes into an HSA, account tax-free, it grows tax-free, and it comes out tax-free as long as you spend it on healthcare. Um, and the cash is yours. So that's the way you kind of you can't sneak a lot under the, the the toll underneath the chasm because it's, you know, the HSA rules are very specific, which by the way, uh, the tax plan has uh, pro- has suggested to double that number, which will be good for everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a lot of really great things in the tax code that are legal. And they're moral and they're ethical. They've been there for decades upon decades. My favorite, so I'm going to throw this out there to the, this is just going to be the fantasy. we got to have a fantasy tax strategy for those that really are about ready to, to swing for the, the, the fences. We're going to get a movie made of their, their book. Um, there is a part of the tax code that you can stash $2.2 million per year tax-free. It's there, and it's been there. But it's not free. It costs to get it set up. Right, (laughs) You have to have money to be able to do it in the first place. Right, so it's about 50 grand to set it up, but if you're stashing $2 million and you're saving, and if you're making that kind of money, you're in the 50%-ish tax bracket. Um, So if you're saving a million dollars, the 50 grand to set it up is a a pittance. Uh, But... But those are the types of things that are out there, and that's where the super rich really kind of get richer. They like find these things, and oh, I, I can do what? And none of this, by the way, is offshore. Not a single thing that we've suggested is anywhere outside of the contiguous United States. So basically, so I don't, don't, what, yeah. basically what John's doing is taking the same tax strategies that the ultra-ultra-rich use, and he's bringing it down to the middle class and I'm helping— trying. Helping those who are struggling to get ahead to be able to save money off their taxes. And it, it could be easy for some who aren't as immersed in this tax world as, say, John or partially myself to go, well, why all this talk about taxes? What's the big deal about it? And here's the thing. Depending on how much money you make, you taxes will be your biggest expense yes. over the course of your life. And think about what it would mean to you if you got a 10% raise at work, just 10%, right? People struggle so hard to get ahead by making more money for what they do, 
But if you have these strategies available, you can do nothing more and get more for what you do. And while it is illegal to dodge your taxes, right. it is not illegal to pay the minimum amount that you are legally required to do. And you have to ask yourself, as someone who is just making it in life or just finally getting to that point in making it in life, who do you really owe this to? You and your family and your kids or to the government that's going to treat it like monopoly money? Yeah. So there's nothing unethical or scammy or dirty feeling about trying to avoid paying what you shouldn't really legally be paying in the first place. And that's and that really is the key right there. Avoidance is is legal. Evasion is illegal. So there is a there is a difference. You know, the, you know, in Texas, we have all these toll roads. If I choose not to take the toll road, is that illegal? No, that's avoiding to pay the toll. That doesn't mean I've evaded the toll. Evasion would be taking the toll road and not paying. Avoidance is not even taking the toll road. And that's what we're really trying to get people to do is avoid. And it's all legal. It's all legal, moral, and ethical. So it's it's a very interesting – and it's what's really good is it, it has a, a profound impact. What's fun about this, this – the, the taxes that are going on in Washington is they're, they're claiming that the average family is going to save $1,500. Well, our average client saves $21,000. So we are crushing the government uh, using the government's rules that have been on the books for decades. Um, it's one of those remarkable – things that no one's and it's to me it's remarkable that there's no national firm doing this it's just I, I, it's staggering um that there's not a national firm out there everyone hates taxes why isn't there one out isn't there a national firm out there helping the little guy legally pay less and and saving twenty thousand dollars what's really interesting about saving money on taxes it's money that you're going to pay anyways so it's not like i'm convincing you to do something to hopefully get the money we can guarantee you the money. If you're going to write a check for $20,000 and we do some stuff with your accounting that changes it, you get to keep that $20,000. And many times people pay for their tax blueprint. They'll say, I don't have two grand. We'll say, when's your next quarterly payment? Well, it's coming up in a couple months. How much is that going to be? Oh my gosh, it's going to be four or $5,000. Well, pay us the two grand. We'll set up your taxes. You're not going to have to pay the four to $5,000. We're going to show you how to pay less. So we're going to actually pay. So just take the money that you were going to pay in taxes, give it to us. And for the rest of the year, you're going to be paying less. So you can actually pay for our services with the quarterly taxes that you're stashing. So it's an it's a very exciting business. And I'm still amazed. I keep feeling like I'm going to wake up some morning and I'm going to find there's a company that's doing what we're doing and they're going to be bigger and doing a better job at it. But they're I've been I've been at this now about eight years and I have not ran into a single national competitor. We find occasional pockets of small companies doing something remotely similar, but no one's really doing it at the scale, the size, and the capabilities that we currently have. John Pollock, this has been uh, fantastic. I, I've really in, enjoyed the, the time and the education today. And Taylor, I'm so thankful that, that you suggested that we have John on the show. John, where can people learn more about you and your company? So what I would recommend people do is go to lowertaxhigherprofit.com. There's actually a course. 
Um, so you can actually walk yourself through a course that talks about some of this stuff. And I'll give you a freebie too. If you text taxbook, that's T-A-X-B-O-O-K, uh, one word to 33444, you will get a booklet, an ebook that has all the strategies that we've mentioned plus more and about a 15-page read. So you can actually take it to a local CPA and say, I want to do this. And if they say, no, I won't do that, then fire them and hire us. Okay, so that's textbook <laughs> to 33444. That's it. And Taylor, where do we text you to, to, to save money <laughs> or, or get some, some great benefit like that? No, no, no. I want your money. <laughs> <laughs> go to Patreon. <laughs> go to Patreon and support me there. That's where you can go. All right. Or you can listen to Taylor and I on the Taylor Stevens Show each week. And you can learn more about that at taylorstevensshow.com. Or you can find her at taylorstevensbooks.com. And you can buy her books, which I recommend so highly. It's which unbelievable. Which are not about taxes. Which are not They're about not taxes. About taxes. <laughs> All right. Taylors are the only fiction I have read in the last 10 years. And they're great. They are fantastic. Hey, thank you so much to both of you. This has been this has been eye-opening, and I'm sure there are people out there that are just like scratching their heads going, I don't understand. But in two years, when you're getting ready to write that great big check, you're going to say, oh, yeah, I remember that. <laughs> yep. So now's the time to plan, not two years from now. Now's the time to plan. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We will have um, the show notes at theauthorbiz.com. We'll have the links to John's website. We'll have the link to, the, to John's free course and the instructions for texting if you're out driving around and you didn't get a chance to write that down. So thanks so much, you guys. We'll be back again soon.